verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. That just, those are just little uh, uh, punctuation marks almost. The littlest thing. None of it can pass away until the law be fulfilled. Paul talks about this relationship in Romans. He says in Romans chapter 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Now that's kind of odd because Paul does talk about the law and sin and being dead to these things. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But he says, Is the law sin? God forbid. It's from God. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. That means you can't know sin if there's no right or wrong. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Now say that with antinomianism. Use those words in a conversation this week. For without the law, sin was dead. If there was no law saying what was right or wrong, there would be no sin. If it didn't say thou shalt not lie and you lied, it wouldn't be a lie. It would just be something you said. Does that make sense? Sort of. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That when there was a law in place, that sin was now in place as well. But Paul states that the law is not sin. Without the law, he would ha- we would have no idea what sin even was. And he references it when he was a child, when he was alive without the law. But then understanding came, that moment when your child realizes what they're doing is wrong. You see that glint in their eye. Of defiance when they know that what they did is wrong. I remember uh, the first time that I know of that Isaac lied. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, th- I think he was about two and a half, three years old. And it was an awful lie. I don't even know what the lie was about. But I knew that he lied. And I was like, man, this is where, this is it. He's, it's a bad path he's heading down. I see prison. I see all kinds of things. So. We got to scare him straight right now. I mean, we just got to. So I was talking to him and, you know, this isn't right. You can't lie like that. You know, it makes me sad. It makes your mom sad. It makes God sad. It just, and he looked at me right now and said, well, I think it's funny. It's like, man, there's no hope at that point. Washed my hands and said, that's it. But that moment when they know right and wrong, there's that moment when they know. And, and Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and what came with it? Death. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When that knowledge came, death came. Now, now we don't have time to look at what all that meant, but when an understanding of sin comes, innocence dies. And we become wedded to the law. We now have the law working in us. So we're partnered with innocence, and then when innocence dies, we become partnered with the law. And because we now know the law, there's a right and a wrong, there's sin. There's an option there to do wrong. Before, Paul, before this passage, Paul gives us some other interesting information. He talks to us in the start of Romans chapter 7. He says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, we're, again, we're talking about the continuing work of the gospel. So I've got a, little, a few longer passages, but just stick with me here. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. 
So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no, she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead when we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now that can, that can just sound like a bunch of words right there. Now this, this passage is used often in, in conversations about marriage and divorce. And it gives us... Uh, Paul says, for if the woman has a husband, she's bound by law to that husband as long as they live. That's what the law says. If the husband dies, she's loose from the law to her husband. If her husband lives and she be married to another man, it says she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she's free from that law. That's all Paul's saying. But when we look at this, Paul is not talking, he is talking about marriage, but he is not writing about the subject of marriage. He is writing about the subject of the law and uses marriage as an illustration of the law. Okay? So we have to understand what Paul is saying here, that he is using the, the, the illustration of marriage, but he is talking about the law. And he is talking about that we have a relationship with the law just as husband and wife do. So we have this idea that just as a husband and wife, that, that we are joined with the law in marriage. Joined with the law in marriage. And the law says, whether you realize it or not, because we're born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and when we understand the difference between right and wrong, whatever age that is, we become married to the law. All right? And the law says there's only one way out of the marriage. Death. That's it. So when innocence died, we became married to that law. The law says there's only one way out of marriage, death. Before the law of liberty, which Paul later speaks of, before I can be married to that law, there must be death according to the law. Remember, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. Now, the easy way, because this is God and he can do whatever he wants, right? The easy thing would be for God to come down and say, you know what? I'm done with the law. Just the Ten Commandments, all those laws, just get rid of them. I'm starting a new thing. Here it is. All right? I've got, I've got a new thing that I'm going to do. You don't have to worry about all those things about coveting and lying and all that stuff. Just Let's just, let's just pitch that, and we're going to start over from scratch. That seems like it would have been the easier thing to do. Just erase the chalkboard or whatever you want to say, and let's start again. But he couldn't because the law was his word. Now, on a side note here, you, that should, I, I know we're talking about this, this seems a little bit complicated, but that phrase right there, he could not destroy the law because it was his word, should mean something for you and I right now. That means that God's word is so powerful and so valuable, and he values his word so much that even he won't destroy his word. He will fulfill his own word. The author of the word won't destroy his word. That's how powerful it is. So let me tell you, when God speaks to you and you receive a word, then you know what? You can take it to the bank. You can believe. You can trust that God will do it because his word is so important that even he won't destroy his word. 
It's how much value he places on it. And so we can place the same value. But this is why Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. He couldn't destroy it for his own sake because if he was willing to destroy his word, what's to say that later on he won't destroy his word that he gives to us? No, that's not how he operates. If his word goes forth, that's it. That's all there is to it. So he came to fulfill the law. And so the only way that Jesus could get out of the marriage with the law because he was born under the law, Scripture says, the only way that he could get out of him being married to the law was how? Through death. That's it. Why did Jesus have to die? Yes, a blood sacrifice. Yes, a perfect lamb. But he had to die because the law said the only way to get out of this relationship was death. That's it. And so Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to die because that's the only way to get away from the law. See, this is the great work of Calvary. This this is why Satan thought he had won at the cross. Because the law was created for man. Death was a part of the law. Death was final. There was nothing that could destroy death. It was an end. But we understand that when God manifest in the flesh came to earth, he was born in sin, he was married to the law, he took on our sin, and then he had to fulfill the requirements of the law by dying because of our sin. But there was one thing that was not taken into the equation. There was one thing that the devil did not understand. There was one thing that only Jesus understood, and that he was fully man, but he was also fully God. And because he was fully man and fully God, he could take our sins upon him. He was born under the law, but because he was God, he could fulfill the law in a way that no one else ever could. And this right here is the power of the resurrection. You see, because that was never figured into the equation of the law. Is that someone, (laughs) think about the law of marriage. That was never in the equation. If you read all through the law, take, take some time and read Leviticus. Great, great read, great read. I was just reading a chapter today, and it was from Leviticus, and uh, it was talking about if leprosy is found in the house. Man, these processes, and man, if, if leprosy was on you, then it was gone. You had to shave your eyebrows off even. And then seven days later, if you were still clean, shave them back off again. I won't ask if you've done it by accident, but... It's crazy, all this stuff. But nowhere does it say, when it's talking about marriage, it says, you know, the only way that you're supposed to get out of marriage is if if the spouse dies and then you're free. It doesn't cover, what if the spouse rises from the dead? There you go. What if Lazarus was married? Could, Could he marry someone else then? Was he out of it? See, the law didn't cover that because that, that, there were, that, that was not possible. It was not something. But Jesus Christ, this is the wonder of the resurrection, is that he did not destroy the law. He did not do away with his word. He did not. No, he came, fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all the requirements, but then he still made a way of escape for you and I because he was fully man, but he was fully God. This is the power. We understand that he could die, but death was not final. This was the shock that he could meet all the requirements and still make a way of escape for you and I. This was how he was able to bridge the gap between man and God to fulfill the law and conquer it was through his death, but then his resurrection changed the law. 
That was how we could come out from under the law was through his resurrection. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So Paul's been talking in Romans. There's a, a, a lot of it has to do with how we live our life. Whether, whether it's Gentiles who didn't have the law or those who had the law. And, and he's talking to people who have this idea of antinomianism. People who think that they can just do whatever they want. That, that he says, if there's sin there, then grace, there's, there's a bunch of grace, which I'm thankful for. That doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter how much sin is your life. There's always enough grace to cover it. But what he's saying is that doesn't mean that to get more grace, you should go sin a bunch more. Well, I want some more of God's grace, so I'm going to go steal some things. And then I'll have a bunch of grace. And I'll be more graceful than you. That's not, no, he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We're not under the law any longer, but neither do we have license to simply do what we want. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, we understand that Paul likens the gospel, the salvation experience, to repentance is death, baptism is burial. They signify our death and our burial with Jesus Christ. And that's what he says here, that we are buried with him by baptism into death. This is the importance of repenting, and this is the importance of baptism. It is a statement that we are dying to our desires, we are dying to our flesh, we are dying to the hold that the law and sin had on in our lives. Baptism is important because it gets you out of the relationship with the law. Just as Jesus went to a cross and died and he was no longer in relationship with the law. When you go down in the waters of baptism, that's why it says the old man goes down, a new man comes up, a new creature because you're no longer attached to the law. You're no longer attached to that sin that's attached to the law. A lot of attachments there. This is why we must be baptized. Because we cannot get out of the consequences of the law, which is death. It's death. The law leads to death. That we can't get out of that unless we go into the waters of baptism and we are buried with Christ. And so we die to our flesh, we die to sin, and when we do that then you and I can now be resurrected by the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, because that's what's likened to the resurrection is the power of the Holy Ghost. That I can be dead to the law, but I've got to find a new spouse, essentially. And that new spouse is Jesus Christ. I must rise again. My spirit resurrects. That, and I follow his example of his death. And he says in verse 5, If I've been planted together in the likeness of his death, then I will be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That, that is the wonder of receiving the Holy Ghost. Is that now I'm no longer joined to that whatsoever. And I'm not just dead anymore, which that's necessary. But now I have new life with Jesus Christ that now I am wedded to him, that he's coming back and he's looking for what? A bride. And he will look for me because now I am joined with him. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. We are freed, we are dead to sin. Knowing this, he says, when we have been planted in the likeness of his death, when we have been resurrected, so that means when we go through that salvation experience that we repent, we are baptized, we are filled with the Holy Ghost, that now that old self is crucified and the body of sin is destroyed, that we no longer serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. I am no longer under the punishment, the consequence, all those things of sin. I am not attached to that anymore. And in this analogy of marriage, which Paul is getting ready to use in, in, in chapter 7, we've been released from the law of marriage through death. Verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For, if he, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. We die once, we go through that salvation experience, but we live in Him. This is what Christ did. This is my example. That I die and I'm resurrected in Him. Verse 11. We're talking about the continuing work of the gospel. This is what happened when I received salvation in my life. This is what was taking place. Is that When I came to an altar of repentance, what I was doing was I was fulfilling the requirements of the law just like Jesus did. He's my example. And I don't have to die physically, thank goodness. I don't have to come and be killed and then everyone gather around and pray that I rise again from the dead so I can serve God. No, I, I die spiritually, my will, my desires. I'm doing exactly what Jesus did on the cross. I'm doing it spiritually. That's what, when I fall to my knees in repentance, that's why we can't take repentance lightly. That's a powerful thing that's taking place there, that someone is dying. And then when I go into the waters of baptism, that person comes up. They are a new creature in Christ that old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new because they are no longer joined to sin and the law. And when someone is filled with the Holy Ghost, that is a powerful thing because that is a resurrection that is taking place in their life. And then because of that, so now that's what happens when we experience the gospel for the first time, but it doesn't stop. Because we are no longer wedded to the law. We're no longer married to the law. We're no longer married to sin. In fact, Paul says we are dead to that because you repented and were baptized. You're dead to that. Verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. He says, likewise, this is what you should do. Just as, as sin does not... He said that he, in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. That he lives now. That you and I should live... To God. Okay? This is not our focus anymore. Okay? And this affects my view because I no longer have my attention turned towards, let's just keep it in marriage terms, my ex. You know, when, I, when I'm, I'm concerned about not sinning, you know where my eyes are? On my ex. Because that's the law and that's sin. I'm not married to that anymore. I'm married to Jesus Christ. That's why he says, looking unto Jesus, the author 
and finisher of my faith. That my eyes are not over here and I'm just worried about the law. I'm just worried about sin and all the list of do's and don'ts and all these different things. No, the gospel has made me free from that. And now I'm looking to Jesus Christ. And the whole point of the gospel was simply to get me out of this old relationship, this toxic relationship, and put me in relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the point. And so now my eyes are on my new relationship. I should have thrown that meme up there. Oh, man. You know the one? Maybe you don't. Of, of the guy that's walking with his girlfriend? You seen that? And he's turned around looking at another girl. And there's all kind of things that people put with that. I should have made, oh man. I should have done that for this. <laughs> the law in Jesus. That's what I should have done. It's this guy and this girl walking down the street together. And you can obviously tell they're in a relationship. They're holding hands. And the guy's turned around looking at another woman this way. You, you're in a relationship. Your focus is not on sin. It's not on the law. It's not on any of those things. It's on your new relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not what keeps this happy or what do I have to do to stay away from that. No, I will stay away from that. I will stay away from sin if I'm with Jesus. If my attention is turned towards Him, see, this is the continuing work of the gospel in my life, is that it makes sure, it reminds me of who I'm in relationship with. That when I wake up in the morning, it's not a list of rules and regulations I'm concerned about. It's not that I can do whatever I want either, though, because I'm in a relationship. And the relationship, it makes me want to do certain things. Why? Because what is it restoring? My view that God is good. He said he's good. You see, the, that's, why, that's why Paul calls it a slave and a taskmaster of the law, because I was obligated to do certain things. But I'm not obligated under Jesus Christ. No, I do it in response to his goodness towards me. That's why the goodness of God leads me to repentance. But he says, Paul tells us to reckon. I reckon. What does that mean, that you reckon something? What, what does that mean? It's actually a word of logic and fact. It is a factual word. It refers to reality. One person said, if I reckon my bank account has $25 in it, then that's what's in it. It's a statement of reality that when you reckon something, in fact, a business may even talk about reconciling their books when it doesn't match, when, when what reality and the books don't match. You've got to reconcile it. You reckon it. It's a term of reality of what is true. And if you believe that you have more than $25 or less than $25, then you are simply deceiving yourself. Because the reality is, is you have $25. He says, reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed to sin. The fact is, the reality is, is that you are dead to sin. Now, I don't know if you understand what that means. Sin has no power over you. You are dead to sin. The devil can't make you do anything. The law has nothing that it can hold over you. You are dead to sin. We spend so much time focusing on staying away from sin and not being this or that. You know what? He says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Quit living in the past. Quit living with all that old stuff. You are dead to that. It has no rule in your life. 
That's why people can come to Jesus Christ. They can repent and be baptized, die to that, be resurrected to Jesus Christ. And addictions they had have no hold over them because they are reckoned to be dead unto sin. Now the problem is, is when we don't act like we are. We're not sure if we are. We're not positive about what's really taking place. That's why Paul says, you also reckon yourselves. The reality is that sin has no power over you whatsoever. That if you have been buried and you have, you've been, you, you have died and been buried to the law and you have risen again in Jesus Christ, it has no power over you whatsoever. He says, let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body. The power involved with sin is conquered. Spiritually, it has no power over you. Temptation has no power over you. But Paul does say, since you're dead to sin, spiritually, God's taking care of that. But he says, you take care of your physical body. And don't let sin have any power over you physically or in your mortal body. You know, if I walk out of here and go to Walmart and there's one pack of toilet paper left... And I get that I'm like, man, there's one pack of toilet paper left. I only have 35 rolls at home. I know I'm going to need that four. And then I, I, I grab that pack. I wrestle it from some elderly person's arms. Who is strangely strong. And I get up to the cash register, and as I'm on my way up there, I go to pull out my wallet, and I don't have my wallet with me. And I decide to just walk out, just run with the toilet paper. And the image is a lot better as if the package opens and it's slowly unraveling behind me as I run with toilet paper trailing me. The devil did not make me do that. He says, don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Physically, you, have, you, you had a choice in that moment. You had a choice. It had nothing to do with it. Suddenly, the law and sin and the devil was stronger than God. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with you understanding that I'm now in this relationship. Because if I'm looking to God, I'm not running out with the toilet paper. Especially if it's open. This is the continuing work of the gospel. This is why I can't just do whatever I want because he's made me dead to sin, so I need to act like he has really done something in me. Romans 6.22 But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Okay, here's where we get. So you saying I just don't have to do anything. No. When I'm in this relationship now with God. The continuing work of the gospel reminds me daily that I am in relationship with Jesus Christ. Then there is fruit from my relationship. There's fruit. And it tells us in Romans chapter 6 that there is fruit of holiness in my life. You know, I just said this uh, to, to my wife the other day because she was talking something about some, she was talking to someone about a personality thing. And uh, I asked her, I said, you know what would be interesting is to see 
when people are married, when they first took a personality test, and then after several years take it and see how much they're like each other now. You know? You ever caught yourself, if you've been married for a while, you know, kind of acting a little bit more like the other person a little bit? That you're both just crazy now? Maybe you say similar words or phrases that were just yours or just theirs before. Now you start using similar phrases. You say, shut up. The same. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's the fruit of your relationship. That's what happens when you're together. In the same way, when I understand that I am together with Him and He is holy, suddenly holiness becomes who I am. Scripture does say that these two shall become one. That's not just talking about, you know, that the whole idea of marriage is a, is, is a type of our relationship with Jesus Christ, that these two are become one. That I'm dead to this, I'm now here. And so holiness is not a requirement. It just becomes part of who I am because I'm in relationship with Him. It's not a list of things that I have to do or not do. It's all about the relationship of who I'm with. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. You shall know them by their fruits. This is how you're going to know them. This is how the world knows who I am. This is... This idea of the relationship is how people can look holy but not act holy. This is how, well, anyway, let's not get too deep. This is how people can come in and everyone knows that they are separate and distinct and then they treat people like trash. Because they do not realize that they are in a relationship. That relationship, they don't, they don't, no, they're still looking back over here about fulfilling a list of requirements, thinking that that will get them to God. No, God has put me in relationship. I need to turn my eyes to Him. And when I'm in true relationship with God, then holiness will become who I am, love will become who I am. Romans chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. And I, I see the time, I'm about finished. Another 35 minutes. That's the truth. I'll be done within 35 minutes. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another. This is a marriage. The gospel is about putting you in relationship, not in a list of rules, in relationship, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That the demon... Hold on, let me read the next verse. Hold on, hold on, just a minute. Getting too eager. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work on our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Your life is bringing forth fruit. That's it. It doesn't matter if you care about God or you've lived for God 50 years. Your life is bringing forth fruit. And what everyone else sees is the fruit. And I cannot have fruit that is different than my relationship. My fruit reveals my relationship. 
that you should be married to another, even to him that is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That if I am in right relationship with God, if the gospel is continuing to work in me, then there is fruit that demonstrates to others. Jesus says it, you shall know them by their fruits, what they are doing. This is how God knows us when we bring forth fruit unto God. The fruit of the gospel is a marriage, a relationship. It's not legalism. It's not grace only. In fact, Paul states uh, in 1 Corinthians, For I can, have, in, 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 I can have everything. I can have gifts, rules, everything down. I can speak. Maybe you'll, you'll know the passage now. With the tongues of men and of angels, but if I have not love or charity... I'm nothing. And what is that love talking about? That I do nice things for people? No. If I don't have this relationship, then I'm nothing. If it's just love, then anyone who does anything good is all right. No. That's not what he's saying. Because we know we can't be good enough. We can't do enough. It's on that love. 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about this relationship with Jesus Christ. I can do all of those things. In fact, there's people that appear before Jesus on the day of, day of judgment. I mentioned it the first week. And they say, we've preached in your name. We've, we've cast out devils in your name. We perform miracles. And what does Jesus say? I never knew you. There was no relationship. You can speak with the tongues of, of men and angels. But if you don't have this relationship... See, that tells me that that's not even the fruit of this relationship. Galatians chapter 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You see, these are the things that are produced. This is the fruit. If I can stand before God and say, man, I've preached all these messages. There was lines of people and I cast out devils and miracles everywhere. And God can say, I never knew you. Then that isn't what I should be striving for in my life. I should be striving for the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of my relationship. Because if I preach and don't have love, then I'm nothing. If, if I cast out devils and don't have joy from this relationship, then I'm nothing. If I have miracles and pray for all kinds of people and they're healed and there's no peace from this relationship, I'm nothing. Because it's about knowing this is the continuing work of the gospel, that it continues to work in my life, that it should continue to draw me closer to God, that it should continue to produce something in my life. So how does this gospel still affect my life? What is its continuing work? What does it mean when it states the righteousness of God will be revealed from faith to faith? The more I let the Spirit of God, the resurrection power of Christ, make me more and more alive to Him and in Him, the more I should come to know Him. I should know more about God today than I did yesterday. I should know more about Him. I should know more about what He likes, what He doesn't like. You know, there's some things that I just don't do in, in, in my marriage because I know my wife doesn't like it. 
There's some things I do, not because I just enjoy it, but because I know I'm in a relationship with someone else, and they like it. I don't do dishes because I just love doing dishes. I don't do that. I do dishes because I'm in relationship. And you know what changes? See, this is where we get to it. If I think that doing dishes is what's keeping my relationship, then I'm in trouble. If I think coming to church is what keeps me close to God, no, it's my relationship. Because you and I know that we can, you've done it. Let's all be honest now. You've done it. You've sat in church and it's passed you by the entire time. And you couldn't tell, you couldn't tell one song or one word that was preached that whole service. Because you can do that. If you've been coming to church long enough, you know exactly when the preacher's voice starts getting loud and going like this, and then there's a break, and you hear one person clap, then you clap with them, and you don't even know what they said. You see, because that's not what keeps me. That's not what keeps me. That's when I start turning my eyes to obligations. No, I do it because of the relationship. And the more I come to know Him, the more that I should see in me that needs to go. That needs to die. You see, because that keeps working in my life. I realize the new birth experience is a one-time event. I'm born again once. But the idea of dying to myself, which is contained in the gospel, to live to Him is something which remains as a work in my life. As the more I see of His righteousness, which doesn't come through doing a list of obligations, the more I see His righteousness is by knowing Him. As, and the more I know Him, the closer I get to Him, the more I understand Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's a living sacrifice. You know why? Because he's talking to believers. And believers have been made alive through him. We are alive because of him. But I must never get to the point where I can't climb back up on the altar and die to some things in my life. You know how I figure those things out? By relationship with Him. You see, the law could have done it. The whole, the whole idea of the law was about drawing man back to God, but it didn't work out that way. And so God said, I'm going I'm to get in relationship with mankind. And if I get in relationship with God, then you know what? I'll start to see the things. God will start speaking to me. He'll reveal things to me. And that's what it really means to walk with God. Here's also the cycle of the gospel that's repeated when something dies, resurrection happens. You see, when I'm willing to die to my flesh, to my desires, to my will, something is always resurrected. New life always comes somewhere. And you see, there's moments in this relationship, just like a natural relationship, where there's things that I don't want to do. How many have ever had God say something to you and you think, man, I, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. That's a little bit too difficult. That I don't know about that. 
And no list of rules and regulations is going to drive me to do that. No, the only thing that will make me climb back up on the altar and become a living sacrifice is a relationship that I have. But I have to understand this. This is how the gospel keeps working. Is that I have to understand that when I die to my desires, when I die to my will, whatever God is asking me to do, there is always something that will be resurrected. Something new will always come. That God never asked me to give up something to stop doing something to without something new being birthed inside of me was something new growing because that's the relationship because he's a good God. He's a good God. My relationship is what makes me want to sacrifice. My relationship is, makes, is what makes me want to climb up on the altar. So when I view all of this as a bunch of rules, you know what happens? When I view all this as that I've got to pray today, I've got to read my Bible today, I've got to go to church now, I've got to go to prayer meeting, I've got to go to this, I have to do that. You know what? Eventually you will get tired of climbing on that altar. Because you know what? It's not leading anywhere. It becomes a list that you must accomplish. And it will lead you nowhere because that's not the relationship. When I just see it as all that, in fact, we find an illustration of this in The Rich Young Ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, I've done all the law. But then Jesus asked him a relationship question. He asked him something outside the law. And that's where he had a problem because there was no relationship. Jesus said, are you willing to climb on the altar, sell all that you have and give to the poor? And he said, no. There was no relationship. There was only laws. When I see myself as free to do what I want, when I see God is just, he's giving me free reign and there's no rules or restrictions. And you know what? I don't see the need to climb on the altar anymore. I don't see the need to because his grace covers it all. I don't have to sacrifice. But when I see the gospel as relationship, it changes my desires to not just fulfilling obligations, but wanting to please him. You see, this is the continuing work of the gospel, is it keeps me in relationship, and I understand that what I, what I am doing in my life, how I am living my life, when people ask me why I do what I do or don't do, it's not about what a church says, it's not about a list of rules, it is about pleasing God. Why? Because he has, he has allowed me to do away with that. He has allowed me to be released from the bondage of slavery and sin. And he has put me back in relationship with him. So I respond to a relationship. And if you don't have a relationship, you're going to have trouble responding. This is why people say, you know what? I can't, I can't do that anymore. It's too much. It's too much. You lose sight of the relationship. Because when I look at what he's done and his goodness, I can't help but respond to that. As we stand tonight. When I view my life in context of relationship. That I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. When I view it and look at it in its progress. I no longer see things as heaven or hell issues. but as relationship issues. See, it affects my vision. Do I have to do this? Is this a heaven or hell issue? Let me just ask you if you're married. I'm not asking you if you're married. I'm going to ask you. If you're married and your spouse asks you to do something and your response is continually, well, is this a stay together or a divorce issue? 
If it's a divorce issue, I guess I'll do it. If you're going to leave me over this, okay, I'll do it. Exactly, it's not a relationship. It's a list of obligations. Let me just say, if your marriage is that way, you need to work on your marriage. But you know what? That doesn't enter in. And so Christ, Christ is, should, and his relationship with the church and with me should be my example for my marriage. Instead, we have it backwards because we have seen it all different. And instead, we have to apply marriage to our relationship with God to make us understand what our relationship with God should be. It should be flipped completely around. But because we've made it all these other things, no, I want to see the gospel for how it is. I want to see that, no, I, I'm, I'm dead to these things anymore. I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about sinning anymore because he's defeated that. And when my eyes are on him, he's not leading me towards sin. I'm going to do what he wants. And you know what? The, Jesus sums it all up. They come to him and say, what should you do? What should you do with all the laws? What, what do I have to do? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Looks to me like that's relationship. He says, you will fulfill all of the law if you get in relationship with me. Why? Because Christ fulfilled the law. When I follow him, I'm going to fulfill all the law too. I don't have to worry whether I'm holy if I'm in relationship with him. I don't have to worry if I'm going to love like I need to love because I'm in relationship with him. I don't have to worry about anxiety and fear because I'm in relationship with him. And perfect love casts out all fear. Not this over here. There's fear in the law. I'm scared of going to hell. But perfect, perfect love casts out all fear. I want us to pray right now that God would help us to see what his gospel has really done in my life and what it continues to do in my life. That he has called me to relationship. That, that he has called me not to obligations. He has called me not just to do certain things, but no, he wants to be in relationship. And that is what should drive everything that I do to please him, to honor him. That he is a good God. That he is a righteous God. And I'm not doing things to get things from him. No, he has already given me everything that he possessed. He has already... Uh, uh, he has already sent his son to die for me. He has already uh, defeated death, hell, and the grave. He has already done these things. He has already given me so much, so I respond to him. I respond to what he has done for me. I respond to how he reached for me. I respond to how he was pulling for me when no one else was. And I'm in relationship with him now. And so I respond out of love. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see God. Lord, open our eyes to see what you want to be in our life, Lord, every single day. That it's not obligation, Lord. That it's not ritual, God. That it's not just tradition, Lord. But you have called us to a living relationship. A real relationship with you. That we have crucified the old man. And Lord, we live to you, God. Lord, and I pray that in that relationship, if there's things that I need to change, Lord, that I'm willing to do it because of the relationship I have with you, Lord, that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to stay in relationship with you. And Lord, I pray most of all that you begin to rub off on me, Lord, that your holiness rubs off on me, that your love, your joy, your peace, the fruits of the Spirit begin to rub off on me, God. Lord, I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you, God. I want people to see the fruit of my relationship with you, Lord. I don't want people to see my obligations to a church. Lord, I want, to, I want people to see the fruit of my relationship with you, God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
I worship you, God. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Why don't we thank him for just a moment for what he's done in our life, for the gospel that he made a way, that he has defeated death, hell, and the grave, that he has conquered sin, that I leave this place not in bondage to sin, but I leave free because there's repentance available, that there's baptism available, that his spirit is available to me, that I am someone new, that I'm not the old person, but I'm someone new, that he has created something brand new inside of me. Oh, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I worship your name. I worship your name. Amen. I want the gospel to affect me when I wake up tomorrow. That when I, 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 I there's things that I may struggle with, I need to remember, no, I'm not doing this because I have to. No, I'm doing this because I'm in relationship with him. And I know that I'm in relationship with Him, that He's a good God, that He's a faithful God, that He's a true God. And so I just stand on my knowledge of Him, on my knowledge of who He is, who He's proved Himself to be to me already. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for worshiping God tonight. Amen. Make sure you get to Walmart. They're running out very quickly. Amen. Make sure. Uh, there's plenty. There's a lot of people that are sick. Remember Sister Norma Tate? Remember her and your prayers? Um, Amen. You are dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.